the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Hello and welcome to The Situation Report. This is the show where we do our very best to give you the information and perspectives you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stonlecker. I am your host along with Chad Robichaux and very glad to have you joining us today. Uh, as culture changes, and it, it certainly does, it is, it will continue to do that. There are a lot of issues that we might discuss, a lot of things that are changing around us that don't necessarily directly impact us. And we talk about so many different things on this show. Perhaps sometimes you listen and you think that impacts me. Other times you listen and think that was really interesting. They did a fantastic job breaking that down. (laughs) But I don't know how that applies to my life. Today's conversation is one that certainly will apply to your life. Today we're going to talk about social media. And more specifically, the mechanisms used to censor folks on social media. We hear about things like censorship. We hear phrases like shadow banning. We don't always know what all of this means. And yet, whether we understand it or not, all of these things impact us directly, impact how we receive information, what information we receive, and even the thoughts that we think and the decisions that we make. And gratefully, we have a wonderful guest on with us today that's going to help break this down. Gavin Wax is with us. Gavin is the 76th president of the New York Young Republicans Club, chairman of the New York Republican Liberty Caucus, a Newsmax contributor, and a spokesman for the social media platform Getter, which we'll talk about uh, as we work through our interview today. Uh, Gavin, appreciate your time. Thanks for coming on with us. I know you're uh, running around doing a lot of stuff, but thank you. No, it's my pleasure to be here. Thank you guys for having me. So we're going we're gonna to jump into a conversation about censorship. But before we do, um, if you wouldn't mind, take a minute, introduce yourself to our audience, and then talk about how you kind of got into all of this. You've got a, a lot of bio information. What I talked about is very little of what's on your actual bio. You've done a lot of stuff. Uh, how'd you get into this? Where'd you come from? And uh, you know, what, what drew you to this particular conversation? Absolutely. I mean, look, you covered a good portion of it, but I'm a Republican conservative based here in uh, the belly of the beast, New York City. Uh, So I understand what it's like to be a a political minority uh, (laughs) surrounded by uh, individuals who don't really care for, uh, you know, uh, diversity of opinion or freedom of expression. So uh, that kind of informs a lot of my worldview. Uh, It also definitely informs me and the passion I have for my job here at Getter, which is the free speech uh, platform uh, on social media. It is the marketplace of ideas, as we are known. Uh, so th- that basically encapsulates a lot of my worldview. I'm a free speech absolutist, uh, and I'm involved in a lot of different political organizations, like you mentioned, the uh, New York and Republican Club, which is the oldest and largest in the country, uh, along with the Republican Liberty Caucus. I also write for Town Hall, Newsmax, American Greatness, and a few other outlets. So I guess that's the uh, very brief shtick. Yeah, it's good. Uh, Gavin, Free speech and censorship, you know, has, has really made its way into kind of every, everyone's life today. Uh, you know, me, I run a I run a national nonprofit for wounded veterans. That's what I do. That's my main platform. I have this show and other things, but uh, you know, I continue to be 
you know, censored. And, and what I say, you know, when I see my, my Instagram account, you know, goes from, you know, one day I'll get 300,000 views on a video. The next day I'll get 30 views based on what the content is. And, and so can you describe to our listeners what censorship is to you and really give a, a 30,000 foot view kind of what censorship is, is like in America right now? Right. I mean, I think a lot of people have this antiquated view that censorship comes at the hands of government censors, you know, sitting in some old, dusty communist office somewhere. But in reality, uh, modern day censorship in our country today is coming from the private sector. It's coming from uh, Silicon Valley. It's coming from a few cartelized uh, tech monopolies uh, based out of the West Coast. Uh, whose uh, CEOs, executive and senior senior leadership have all been captured uh, by this woke ideology, and they are using their positions of power and control within these institutions, namely big tech, uh, to effectuate censorship on the American public, uh, to basically silence any uh, views that run contrary to the establishment orthodoxy and uh, narrative. And uh, they do it through a variety of ways. Sometimes it's a little more sneaky, like in algorithms, which you just mentioned, how some videos you know, will, will organically get tons of traction as they should, because there's a demand for them. But then suddenly overnight, maybe some videos uh, will get absolutely nothing. And there's really no uh, explanation for that. And then sometimes it's just blunt censorship in the form of, say, banning people like former President Donald Trump, or uh, you know, just taking down tweets, preventing you from retweeting them, a whole slew of things. So it's been becoming more and more egregious as the years have gone on. And it just goes to show that their narrative and their worldview that they're trying to promote doesn't necessarily have all the support they think it has. It's very much manufactured and they need to prop it up through, you know, these pretty, you know, over the top forms of censorship online and in digital media, which is, you know, the, the new public square. It's it's the main way we disseminate information, news, content, opinion uh, in today's day and age. So like, you know, would you, I mean, you say like conservative is, conservatism is, is much more popular than what it is being told because what we see on it and we see on social media, it seems like it's the other way, right? Well, if you look at Twitter, for example, I mean, people, a lot of elected officials, particularly Republicans, use Twitter as a barometer for, you know, the popularity of policies and ideologies. But if Twitter was a congressional district, it would be like D plus 100 or something insane. It, it's You're talking about a very small sample size of people. You're talking about a, the people that actively use Twitter. It's a small subset of the population. And then within that small subset, it's dominated by the left. So you get a skewed, distorted reality when you look exclusively on some of these online platforms. Platforms. But even then, I think it does go to show a lot of times when videos go viral, when certain people go viral, uh, when when a lot of you know blue check marks get ratioed online, it does go to show that there is a a, a, a growing body of people out there, uh, a silent majority, if you will, who are you know opposed uh, to some of the narratives and 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 uh, lines of thinking that are being promoted through our institutions. And maybe they don't describe themselves as conservative, but they're certainly against. Uh, what is the orthodoxy today? And that's that's very much leftism. Yeah. We um, hope that as we do shows like this, people who are listening will get information that they can use to navigate their daily lives. There's just so much changing all the time in culture. And, and this is one of those areas. And we hear particularly conservatives talk about things like censorship. They'll use phrases like shadow banning and, and a lot of other phrases and terms for what we're talking about. Um, maybe two parts of this question. One, can you define some of those terms so that when people hear them used, <laughs> we, we kind of lump all of this into the pejorative category, right? Like, it's all bad. We don't know what any of it means, but it's all bad. Define some of those terms, and then 
maybe talk about some other tools that uh, social media companies and other platforms are using to censor. Again, it's not guys sitting in a smoke-filled room somewhere. What are the tools they're using? So how do we define this? How do we understand it? And, and what's actually being done to make it happen? Absolutely. So I'll start with the first term you listed, uh, shadow banning or shadow banned. Uh, this basically means uh, that you still have an account, you still have a profile on whatever platform you're using, uh, but the content you're putting out uh, has been flagged and it is not going to get the type of organic mm -hmm. reach that it normally would. So from the surface level, it appears that everything's fine and dandy. You have an account. That's great. You can still post. That's great. Uh, you can still follow people. People can follow you, but your uh, content is not showing up on the feeds, on Twitter feed, on a Facebook feed, on an Instagram feed. People are just not seeing it organically. Uh, they may have to go directly to your profile to see it. And it doesn't matter if they follow you or they don't follow you. Your content is being artificially suppressed pressed uh, via the algorithms, which are these, you know, equations in the code that basically uh, prioritize content on the feed that put yep. content on the feed to begin with. So that's shadow banning. Uh, and that happens to a lot of people. It's usually difficult to prove. I know you guys had a guest on earlier, a friend of mine, Matt Terramont. He frequently yep. claims to be shadow banned. I think he has been shadow banned. I mean, he's an interesting case. He has a blue check. He has a decent number of followers on Twitter, uh, but a lot of his content I never see and I follow him. So right. uh, I think it's, it's and, and sometimes people, you know, they physically have to go to the person's page, uh, which is an unnatural way of using these applications or these, these platforms. Uh, then you have deplatforming, which is the overt version where you're simply taken off the platform completely in the case of, uh, say, Donald, uh, President Donald Trump, his right. account was taken off, right. his past tweets were gone, deleted, et cetera. That's pretty cu cut and dry. Uh, and it's pretty simple. Uh, those are the two main ways. I mean, people essentially get, uh, you know, censor. Uh, now, if it's not done on the profile level, it could be done at the content level. So they could have triggers uh, in the content of a, of a tweet or a post. For example, a lot of posts recently that had to do with COVID or anything about the vaccines or anything that, that, that had some buzzwords in there uh, that were flagged by Twitter or Instagram or whoever, they would put disclaimers on these, on these types of posts. And it was based more on the content and less on the actual user posting it. Uh, and then sometimes that, that comes with uh, additional repercussions. They will even limit people's ability to share that content or to like that content mm -hmm. or to comment on that content, thus making said post or content you know, uh, dead in the water. It can't, yeah. it can't transverse the internet on these platforms. So it's not going to get the kind of reach, the kinds of views and the kind of visibility that it would otherwise. Uh, so th there are, there's a lot of things they started doing. And I think a lot of this is really recent. I mean, if you remember these disclaimers, I think one of the first disclaimers that ever came out was on President Donald J. Trump uh, when he was posting about the election. They started putting up disclaimers. Right. Right. On his on his content that was very new and novel had never been done before and it was editorializing content on the platform and if you engage in editorialization uh you are in fact a publication and you should be subject uh to liability at that point and then be you know subject to lawsuits and things that kind of goes contrary uh to what section uh 230 uh 230 rather in um in the U.S. code states in right. terms of protecting these publishers uh, from liability with with comes to defamation, libel, whatever it is. Um, and then also, I think there's a lot of other stuff going on that manipulates digital media. I mean, I, the bots are crazy. I mean, we frequently see many people posting the same exact message over and over all over the place on social media, and particularly on Twitter. Um, and it just goes to show that a lot of the uh, content you see on Twitter is driven by bots, many of which are uh, working under, you know, 
you know, orders, political orders to put out certain messages and narratives. So they flood the comments of certain posts. They flood uh, you with negative attacks, with attacks on individuals, uh, or just posting disinformation and they spread it. And Twitter selectively allows that to happen. They selectively allow a lot of things with their policies. For example, they have policies against doxing and all these other sorts of things, harassment, bullying, but they never apply it to say accounts that are run by Antifa right. that target uh, people on the right. So they they have they have um, they have selective enforcement of their own policies uh, for the benefit of one side of the political spectrum. They allow uh, this pervasive use of bots to influence uh, the online narrative and online discussions with you know manufactured messaging that's pushed out there. That's not actually coming from real people. It's just being sent out via you know uh, via a, a code somewhere running right. on the right, right. website. Uh, so there's a whole slew of things we can yeah. dive into. I mean, it's kind of technical in some of these areas, but uh, it's not just one thing or another. It can't just be bucketed all as just a form of censorship. A lot of it is indirect. A lot of it's direct, uh, more nefarious, more yeah. overt, things like that. Yeah, that's good. If, if you are shadow banned, I mean, is there anything you can do about it as a user? <clears throat> well, the funny thing is, is these platforms claim not to have uh, any mechanism to shadow ban, which we all know is a lie. <laughs> right. I remember a few years ago, uh, you know, leaked screenshots came out from the back end of Twitter that basically showed that, you know, the people at, at Twitter have levers they can pull on your account uh, to, you know, derank your content, to suppress your content. Uh, I mean, when you're shadow banned, I mean, you're pretty much stuck in purgatory. Uh, the mm. best thing you could do is continue to make new accounts uh, elsewhere on other platforms and alternative tech platforms uh, to get bigger reach because it's like, you know, you have a stock market uh, portfolio, you want to diversify your stocks. We also want to diversify your social media and your social media following. If you're the bulk of your social following is on one platform or another, uh, you're dependent on that platform. Right. And the second they pull the, pl the rug under you, you lose your following, you lose your reach, you lose your ability to reach your followers. So if you have, you know, many different platforms across different, uh, many different accounts across many different platforms, you're protected a bit. But once you are shadow banned, uh, there's really no mechanism to remove it because they don't even, you know, they don't even concede that they engage in shadow yeah. banning to begin with. Yeah, I, I mean, we have dealt with this on my account and other accounts already. And uh, one of the things that it, even now, uh, if someone wants to tag me in something, they have to type every letter of my name. Uh, they, if they want to search me, they have to type every letter of my name. They can't just- Oh, they do simple things like that too. Like the tagging, like you're describing, absolutely. I mean, it's just to make, they, they know that if they continue to take these low hanging fruits uh, and make everything just progressively more difficult for people to engage in content they don't like and share content they don't like. Uh, they know they're going to just, you know, kill that content. I mean, they, in, during the election, they, they prohibited us uh, from retweeting. Uh, so what you had to do is you had to quote tweet everything, which made it a little more difficult because then you had to go quote and then you had to type something. And they do it constantly now for content related to COVID. You lose the ability to retweet. You lose the ability uh, to post anything. And then sometimes they'll just they'll just hit you with some kind of uh, disciplinary action. They'll lock your account for 24 hours right. until you delete certain content, which is almost kind of it's, it's just like a strange psychological trick. It's like we're we're, we're punishing you and you're only going to get your account back <laughs> and your privileges until you do what we say. So you need to actively delete this it's it's very strange it's it's like really a type of uh you know mind game they play with their mm -hmm. users but uh they continue to engage in stuff like this all the time it's only getting worse and worse and you see the new ceo of twitter coming out and he's basically said that you know free speech is this dated concept and what they need to do is they need to curate content and they need to be part of you know the content that gets seen they they feel that they're not just a platform anymore they need to actually you know be the ones curating what right. people can see and read and exchange and that's very dangerous that's that that's a lot of power uh, in the hands of very few people 
Yeah, well, Sounds like an editorial. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, what's the what's the net impact of, of this of censorship? Not only politically, because we know what the net impact politically is, but what, is it economically? Like, what's the impact, and and what's the motivation aside from political? What was is there motivation besides politically? I mean, it certainly has economic impacts. I mean, it's centralizing power. It's protecting certain corporate interests. I mean, I think it has a big cultural impact. I think it has a big impact on just mass media, mass psychology, uh, you know, norms, trends. I mean, you see a lot of things in the culture being driven very artificially uh, through big tech and through their corporate interests. You know, you could talk about a lot of things that have become, you know, trending over the last few years that even 10 years ago would have seemed, you know, crazy that would have been such on the forefront. I mean, you look at like, you know, the situation with, you know, uh, trans and in, in, in kids' bathrooms at schools and things like this. I mean, a lot of this stuff is being pushed artificially right. through big tech. It's being promoted and any criticism of it is being shut down. So it has impacts on the culture, I think, uh, you know, a large part on the culture, of course, politically, it's very obvious it has massive impacts there. I mean, even things like Google search results. I mean, they've done tests and study that's that show, you know, people go to Google, they search for a candidate. And if the first three, four results are all negative, that impacts a person's voting patterns. I mean, the power of how uh, how big tech ha has the ability to disseminate information, control results, shape a narrative is massive. It can shift votes. Uh, it can shift the entire direction of countries, cultures, uh, and even economic trends for sure. Um, you know, you, you look at the viral trends that have happened on the stock market, you know, with the, with these uh, games <laughs> right. or uh, Bitcoin, crypto, Dogecoin. I mean, I'm not saying these are necessarily bad things. I mean, that, that would probably happen in any free society, but, you know, big tech and these platforms, you know, have a lot of say on, on pretty much everything that's happening in our life from the economics, like you mentioned, to the culture, to the politics. <laughs> My name is Jeremy Stolnicker. I'm the CEO of the Mighty Oaks Foundation, and I'm here with my pastor, Steve Chappell, who is the pastor of Coastline Baptist Church here in Oceanside, California. And we are here today to tell you about our new book, Offensive Faith. In the Old Testament, the psalmist asked the rhetorical question, if the foundations be destroyed, what are the righteous to do? And it seems like we're living in a time when the foundations yeah, are being right. destroyed in a lot of different ways. Here's the great news. God has given us incredible insight in His Word that can not only encourage us to hold on in times like these, but to help us to move forward by faith. And I think our goal in this book and what we hope for you, once you pick it up and you read it, is that you will be encouraged and equipped to go on the offense with your faith in a world that seems so often out of control. Order your copy of Offensive Faith today on Amazon.com. One, one of the, the questions I've had again and again with uh, social media platforms, and you represent Getter, so uh, you're the perfect person to ask this question, <laughs> question to. It, there seems to be a disagreement amongst conservatives about the strategic next moves for conservatives on social media platforms. Do we need to stay on Facebook and Twitter and post on YouTube and try to win there? Or do we need to go to alternative, uh, now alternative, it, it may not always be alternative, uh, social media sites like, like Gab and Getter and you know Parler and whatever else is out there? I, I've, I've asked this question from a number of people, and I've gotten both answers. Some would say we need to stay and fight on the mainstream social media platforms. If we lose our voice there, we've lost our voice. 
And if we go to other sites, then we've kind of ghettoized ourselves. We've, we've separated ourselves from the main conversation. And then on the other side, it's, no, we need to get off of all of that. We need to, you know, come together. I'm, sh- well, I'm sure you have an opinion on it, but break that down for me. What do, how do we need to think about this strategically? Absolutely. I mean, look, I have my bias. I have my opinion on this one. And I think, you know, we should take an all of the above approach. We should be on every platform because at the end of the day, you mentioned it, you said it's like a ghetto. I mean, if you're only in, you know, an echo chamber where you only hear your ideas and your views and they're not challenged, uh, you become intellectually lazy. You're incapable Mm -hmm. of defending yourself, defending your point of views, or more, most importantly, sharing your point of views with the many people out there that are still on the fence about a lot of issues. Uh, The second you retreat into, you know, your own ideological corner, your own ideological safe space, which do exist on many of these alt tech platforms where no one is challenging your views, where you're not hearing alternative views, where you're not hearing a lot of views that may be in the political center that are, you know, are not necessarily left or right, but, you know, there could be a lot of different, you know, agreeable opinions on. Uh, that's when you start to become, uh, you, you start to become weak and you start to become weak intellectually. You start to not be able to articulate your positions as well. I mean, a big part of what we see on the left is a lot of their views have never been challenged. I mean, they go through all the different institutions, whether it's academia, right. whether it's uh, the, the corporate world, wherever it is, and, and they're constantly regurgitating the same talking points and the same viewpoints uh, that they've been told their whole lives. And then the second they meet, say, a conservative or someone on the right who challenges their views, they fall apart. The whole, right. the whole, their whole worldview uh, collapses and they're not even capable of yeah. defending yeah. Uh, these closely held beliefs. We don't want that to be replicated on the right. And most importantly, as I mentioned earlier, we want to be able to still evangelize because there's many people uh, who may not have a political position on a lot of these issues right now, but they may go to some of these social sites and they may find different influencers and thinkers and talkers and speeches and other content that begins to inform their worldview and change it. I know a lot of people, you know, including myself, that that's how uh, obviously it may have been before a lot of the censorship was existing, but that's how a lot of people began to change their political opinions and and diverge from what they're taught in school, what's passed down to them from their families, what they're told in their corporate office, whatever it is. So you need these platforms as as, as flawed as they are. Uh, so we shouldn't give that up. And 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 the left doesn't do that. The left constantly right. tries to take over more institutions. Right. They right. never retreat. I mean, they have their safe spaces, of course, because they want <laughs> they want to keep their army of uh, of militant woke you know, uh, you know, uh, demonstrators right. and law, right. they still want to take over, you know, the boardrooms, they want to take over uh, the school boards, they want to take over the business, uh, these different, you know, departmental agencies, uh, these different, you know, judiciaries, whatever it is, they're constantly on the offensive. So Republicans, conservatives should not be retreating. That's my view. And I understand if there's alternatives, you know, the, the contrary could say, you know, well, you're elevating these platforms, you're keeping them alive. And I think they're going to stay alive on their own. They have plenty sure. of other sources of, of revenue and people. I don't think, you know, this, the minority of conservatives are what's keeping them alive. Now, is that to say we shouldn't continue to advocate for all tech platforms and other platforms that are, you know, amenable to free speech like Getter and others. No, of course, we should definitely elevate those platforms and continue to help them grow. Uh, I think that's beneficial. It's beneficial to the market. It's always good to have, you know, different, it, it forces, it does more to have a competitor in the market uh, to force Twitter to really, you know, Correct. pull yep. some of the stuff than anything, because the second they feel the heat, if they ever felt a real competitor that was peeling away their users, that's when they start to make changes. And I think that's going to happen uh, when some of these tech platforms like Getter uh, begin to get better tech. I think that's really what's going to mm. be 
pushes us over because you're only going to get so far by just having a carbon copy of Twitter, for example. Correct. Yeah, right. Uh, just allows free speech to, to push you to the next level and to get people in the political center or to get people outside of politics to get on your platform. You need to offer some value adds. You need to offer some, you know, uh, you know, uh, differentiating factors, namely in the form of better tech. Oh, you can do live streaming now on Getter. Okay, that's great. I'll come on mm. together. Oh, you have a dislike button. Okay, I'm going to come together. Oh, you guys can do uh, different forms of video content or different forms of uh, uh, posting and all this other stuff. Oh, I like your UI better. That's going to bring more people on. That's going to actually create a real competition to big tech, and that's going to force big tech to reevaluate. But big tech has an advantage that they're being protected artificially by government privileges in the form of Section uh, uh, 230, uh, which basically says that they, they are a platform and you can't sue them like other any other company. So that gives them a liability shield. That's a privilege of government. I don't think that's the free market. That's government giving them uh, some sort of protections. And I think the bigger debate, I think on the right, is more how to handle big tech. Do we keep Section uh, 230 in place? Right. Do we amend right. it? Uh, do we t- treat them like public utilities? Do we break up big yeah, tech? Right. The whole variety of opinions there. Yeah. Um, Man, a lot of questions I'd like to ask yeah, you and follow up on with that. But, um, we'll we'll end with this. Hopefully, you can come back and we can talk more about this because it's, it's fascinating. But Getter has gotten a lot of steam recently amongst conservatives. Um, kind of as we conclude today, can, can you give us the the Getter thirty second pitch? Why why is Getter gaining so much traction so quickly? There, there are other platforms, and I think you know they're doing great. And they've got good intent, but why is Getter gaining the steam it is right now? Look, we have a we have our own proprietary code, our own website, our own tech. We're not using anyone else's tech. It's built from the ground up. Uh, you know, we're we're rolling out tons of new features for a company that's so new, so so small uh, to be hitting above our weight class, so to speak. I mean, we yeah. just rolled out live streaming. You know, that that doesn't even exist on Twitter anymore. We have a clean interface. It works well. We have our own servers. We're protected. We're we're on both the app stores. We have a lot of the we have a lot of things that have give us a leg up to say a parlor or a gab because we haven't been deplatformed like them uh we have you know we need to have certain levels of moderation in place you know you have you can't allow child porn and all these other things that's what got them knocked off the app stores to begin with so because we we do the minimums we're required we provide good tech we have a good ui we have a good we have a good framework and we have a ton of um you know mainline conservative influencers and others that are on the platform it's just it's just growing a community and it's also a community that's not so based on the u.s we're diversifying our market we're growing in tons of different countries globally whether it's japan or brazil or Europe. Uh, and that's allowing us to expand as a platform beyond just being, you know, the following of just say Donald Trump. Uh, and I think that gives us a leg up. I think that's going to allow us to exist long term. And what we would what all these platforms need is they need time because, you know, Twitter didn't get to the place it was today. Facebook didn't get to the place it was today. You know, overnight we launched in July. We were the fastest growing social media network in terms of the milestones we hit, hitting a million, hitting two million and now about to hit three million users. Uh, we didn't get there. Uh, you know, just just by accidents, because we're providing a good product, we have a good rollout, we have a good long term strategy, long term growth, and I think the users can tell from the experience. And it's only going to get better. And are there hiccups? Because we're a startup, of course. Um, but this is part of the growing pains. Twitter wasn't great when it first launched. Mm-hmm. Facebook wasn't great when it first launched. But they come into their own and they find their niche and their corner in the market, and then they grow from there. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. 
Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org to learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is MightyOaksPrograms.org. Yeah, it's great. Gavin, uh, yeah. I'm on and, uh, and you guys were able to transfer my verification. Yeah. So that was that was really cool. So when you get, I need to get some followers though. There <laughs> so you follow, go. follow me. You could be number five. You guys have to start streaming. Uh, you guys can start streaming uh, your shows onto uh, Getter. I mean, we could talk if you don't have the capabilities now. Connect it with OBS. Stream it onto Getter, hmm. and uh, you'll be able to put this show right on there. I mean, it'll be it'll be live for anyone. Right live, quote unquote. Obviously, you guys pre-record, but it'll show as yeah. live. Our producer Michael's listening right now. Yeah. Well, it's a conversation it. we'll definitely have. No, that's uh, that's awesome, Gavin. Uh, where can people follow you and and learn more about not not only your work with Getter but your work across the board? Absolutely. Well, you can follow me on all the big tech platforms. I just uh, <laughs> all of them, all of them. <laughs> At Gavin Wax. That's Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, YouTube, Getter, uh, Parler, Gab, all of the above. Uh, you can also follow me on my website. I post my latest columns there from Newsmax, Town Hall, American Greatness, GavinWax.com. And if you're in the New York metropolitan area and you're interested in the uh, largest, oldest uh, Republican club, uh, check out the NYYRC, NYYRC.com. That's New York Republican Club. Awesome. Gavin, thank you so much. Appreciate it, man. Thanks, man. Gavin is one of those guests that you feel like you could fill up two or three hours of conversation with. So deep and so clear on these issues. Uh, Man, very grateful that he would come on with us and hopefully we can talk again. But a few key takeaways that I want to point out to you for today's situation report. Number one, we hear about censorship, we hear about shadow banning, we hear these phrases and we hear people talking about this happening to them, and sometimes we dismiss it as not being real. What we must understand as fact (laughs) is that there are real mechanisms to censor the information that we receive on social media platforms. Uh, Now, if you could rewind 15 years, talking about social media sounds silly. This impacts every area of every one of our lives. This is how information is communicated and disseminated, and there are very real mechanisms to control what it is from an information standpoint that we receive. That's number one. Uh, Number two, and this is a personal appeal probably as much as it is anything else, We have to also understand that censorship, shadow banning, these other things that are taking place to prevent information from getting to us, whether we know it or not, whether you know it or not, it is impacting you. Now, you might say I have a small account, a small number of followers on some of these platforms, and all I post are pictures of my children and the things that I ate or whatever, the things that I created. This doesn't impact me. It does impact you. It impacts you because it 
is a control mechanism to determine what information you are receiving, what things you are seeing, how you are viewing the world. And again, whether we understand it or not, the information is being fed to us. This impacts us. It impacts the decisions we make and the thoughts that we think. We must take this very seriously. And then finally, again, many things we could talk about. But the biggest takeaway for me probably was the one I wanted to get to the most. We got to it finally at the end. Where do we go then? Do we stay on the mainstream platforms? Do we go to other platforms like Getter and some of the others? What do we do? Gavin's answer was an answer we've gotten from others in the past. Be everywhere. (laughs) Be everywhere. But not everywhere for the same reasons. Some of these platforms like Getter, as mentioned, these alternative platforms, eventually I think they'll be as mainstream as others, but these alternative platforms, be there so that you can communicate your own ideas, so that you can receive uh, clear, unfiltered information from others that may believe like you, some perhaps that don't, but give yourself the opportunity to think, to think critically, to understand critically. But then also be on these mainstream platforms like Facebook and Twitter and others so that you can be challenged on your ideas. It's important to be challenged, but also so that you can communicate your own ideas to others who may not ever get to one of these other sites. It's evangelism on one side, and it's being in community on the other side. I come from a church background. Maybe you picked up on that. It's evangelism on one side, on the outside, evangelizing. And it's being in a community where you can be supported and learn and grow on the other. Be everywhere. So many great takeaways. Those are three of the big ones for me. I appreciate you listening, and man, I hope that you'll come back and listen again as we do our very best to provide information and perspectives and resources to navigate an ever-changing culture. Culture changes. Don't be afraid of it. Just get the right information to navigate in the best way possible. Thank you, and we'll talk to you next time. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.